Hi there, this is Rich Cooper with the Space Foundation, and this is the Space For You podcast series that tells the stories of the amazing people who contribute to today's space community. I'm joined today by Meredith Garfalo, an award-winning certified broadcast meteorologist who is part of the esteemed team at Weather Nation. Meredith is also the co-chair of the AMS Station Scientist Committee which focuses on greater awareness and outreach when it comes to science education for the community and viewers. Meredith, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Rich. I'm very happy to be here and to talk with you and our entire listeners. Meredith, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into meteorology. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there, Rich, that can relate, or even kids that are listening that know they have that childhood dream, because that's how it was for me. I was actually only three years old, and my mother told me a story of surviving the one of the biggest tornado outbreaks in history, the super outbreak of 1974. She survived the tornado that devastated the town of Xenia, Ohio, and for some reason, Hearing that story as a child, I became very interested in tornadoes and severe weather, and also the fact that she volunteered with the Red Cross to help people out. And I found my calling that I wanted to be somebody that would warn people of bad weather that was coming. And so I started watching local meteorologists and some of the national meteorologists and got really excited about the chance to be somebody that people could count on to keep them safe, but also when there was good weather, I could be there to give them the the positive news that instead of a baseball game getting rained out, there was going to be sunshine. And so pretty much my entire childhood into high school, I continued to study weather and study meteorology and reach out to the local meteorologist. And it just was something that I said I was going to do, and you can ask any of my family members or my friends from back in the day, and they said, yep, Meredith always said she wanted to be a meteorologist, and now here I am, and I'm living my childhood dream, and I really hope that if there are any kids out there, or parents with kids that are interested in something or passionate about something at a younger age, they just go with it and follow it, because that was the best decision I could have made for my life. So you were the person in the in your family that when people wanted to know what the weather was going to be the next day, you were already giving them the answer? <laughs> yes, that was me. And I was also the little stage queen. I like to do plays and I sing as well. And so I was always the performer. So it seemed perfect, a performer doing weather. <laughs> okay, well, that works. But But is meteorology just about the weather or is there more to it? There's so much more to it, Rich, because we don't think about it sometimes, but it plays such a big role in our daily lives. Sometimes it's on the little end of things, or sometimes it's the big end of things. When you're going to an event outdoors and there's a tornado warning that's issued and you have weather that's going to threaten life and property, and it's not just weather impacting our lives. It impacts animals. It impacts events. It impacts the stock. There's so many different ways that weather connects to our lives that we imagine, but being somebody that forecasts the weather, that also reminds me daily of how important our job is as a meteorologist. What role does space play in meteorology? That question's a great question because it reminds me of when I got my 
passion for space because I always thought space was cool and the launches were very awesome. But I got to cover the GOES-S, which is now our GOES-West satellite launch. And being that it was built and tweaked here in Colorado at Lockheed Martin, I got to get up front with the satellite, the people who built the satellite, and learn about the things that it was going to do for us up in space and the constellation that we were going to have of other satellites to help us with weather forecasting. And so if we didn't have those satellites up there, if they weren't next generation, if they weren't high resolution, they wouldn't contribute to our forecast being more accurate or more in detail. And there's so many interesting and exciting things about the GOES satellite series. And we only have two of them up there. So there's still another two that are going to be joining them. But there's also so many other, as I mentioned, constellations of satellites that do different things for forecasting, that study our climate, that study the planet. And as a result, it it helps us protect the Earth so much more. So a day without access to space and space technology if you did not have those things, could you do the meteorology you do today? Not as accurately, I would have to say, because they really add that extra oomph, I guess you could say, in our forecasting, because they provide information that helps us make a call either quicker or a little bit faster, where we can save lives by getting out a warning, or it can show us that a tropical system is starting to strengthen and so you can add the extra warnings and the extra layers and so as much as space is cool to look at as far as the planets and the stars and comets go it's also something that i feel is crucial to my field of meteorology and also crucial to everybody's daily life because without it we wouldn't be able to be there as much as we can for people so how do you train for a career as a meteorologist and And what does it mean to be a Certified Broadcast Meteorologist, or CBM? I went to college for a Bachelor of Science in Meteorology, and that's a four-year program. I went to Valparaiso University, which is in northwest Indiana, and so my training started there. Lots of math, lots of science, and to be honest, I was never, ever good at math, and to this day, I mean, I can, I can add well, but, you know, I struggled with math. It was something that never came easy to me, but there was a lot of very vigorous training over those four years of school, as also internships in meteorology help with being a broadcast meteorologist. So I did my internship my senior year for a radio station, WJOB, but then also I interned with Tom Skilling, which many people might be familiar with in Chicago at WGN which was a fantastic learning opportunity with him and his team. But that was the bones, I guess you could say, to getting my career going. And then it was just getting experience. I've been in television now for more than 10 years, and I've worked pretty much all over the country. I started in the Black Hills of South Dakota. I worked at a few stations in Ohio. I got to forecast on the beach in Sarasota, Florida. And then I got to move to California and learn about all the complex weather patterns and microclimates and fire weather forecasting that they had there. And I feel like the more experience you have combined with the education makes you a much better forecaster, but also it helps you become more comfortable on TV and getting up in front of millions of people and being able to give a forecast, whether it's a nice forecast or whether it's a threatening forecast. And getting a certified broadcast meteorologist that's by the American Meteorological Society, and what it is is it's given to broadcasters that pass 
two different kinds of tests. The first test is a written exam, and that takes time to study for. You're literally going over everything that you went through in college again, and sometimes it's not right after college. I recently got mine within the last five years, and it, once you pass the written exam, you have to submit two different video broadcasts with you on air, one on what's called an active day. So that would be, for example, if there's a hurricane, if there's severe weather outbreak, if when I was in California, if there was a wildfire impact in the area, that was an active day, and then just a general day where you had high pressure and control or you had sunshine, and there wasn't a lot that was changing with the weather pattern, so it was more about your knowledge and your presentation of the area, but also telling the weather story in the most unique and easy-to-understand way that you can. And so once you pass those two, you become, you get the approval and become a certified broadcast meteorologist. And I think it's a very esteemed, esteemed seal to have because it shows the viewers at home that you went through rigorous training, not just in college, but even through your professional career. It sounds a lot like taking the bar if you want to be a, a lawyer or yes. a doctor and passing your boards. Yes. I, I would agree because I was never a good test taker. And Rich, I have to say, and to be honest, I had to take the test three times before I passed. And it was very stressing, and it was very mentally exhausting. But you never give up, and you keep trying for what you want and what your goals are, and you're going to succeed. You mentioned that when you were growing up, math was not your strong suit and uh, not being a great test taker. Uh, you and I share that in common. Uh, math was definitely not my subject. But I'm curious, when you were growing up, what were your other favorite subjects to study that put you on the path that you're on today? Definitely science, and I have to say history was one of my favorite subjects, and I think that's where I got interested as well in space, aside from weather, because I really enjoyed about reading all the different challenges the space program faced, all the struggles, but also all the successes, and it just really got me excited, especially watching so many movies nowadays that have history it because it, it tells our story whether it's weather or whether it's space and so history and science were my favorites but as I mentioned I'm also a singer and so I really enjoyed all my music classes as well I don't think I told you that I'm a singer did I Rich? <laughs> well when I was doing the research to do this I saw that you had uh, sung the national anthem at a certain football team stadium and uh, as a diehard Steelers fan I will forgive those allegiances that you yeah. had and how that team has broken my heart a few times particularly in the playoffs oh, no. but we'll leave it at that so you talk about you know some of the movies and things that you were growing up and I guess one of the things that immediately comes to mind is the movie Twister are you one of these persons that looks at a movie and says oh they get this right they got that wrong or do you take a, a, a pretty critical eye at that? Oh, that's always such a hard question because anyone who watches that movie with me knows that now especially as an adult. When I first watched it, I didn't, and I didn't have as much of the background knowledge. I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is awesome. I want to go sport chasing. But now I do analyze certain things, certain movies like that. But, you know, it's kind of fun, too, because then it just uh, brings up things I might have looked over at school and uh, I, I guess I can 
be annoying on the couch sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, my family could probably attest to that as I go through movies and say what they get right and wrong too. But uh, I guess you've never uh, had to worry about doing a forecast with flying cows as uh, Twister had in it. So yes, <laughs> very true. Meredith, who was the teacher or mentor that really inspired you to pursue your career? You mentioned that your mom was part of the Red Cross and shared the stories of the store of the uh, tornadoes in 1974. Certainly, she's one of your mentors and inspirations. But who was uh, who was another teacher or mentor that inspired you in your career? I have to say, there were so many amazing teachers from elementary school to high school to college that always believed in me. And as I mentioned before, it's something I was always interested in. And growing up, I was different because I was very passionate about weather. And you could find me in the library all the time reading books on tornadoes. And so, unfortunately, I went through a lot of bullying by my peers. And so my teachers were, they were my, my safety. Those were the people that I could talk to with, the other kids made fun of me or they didn't believe that I was going to go into a science career. And so I do have to give every teacher I think I've had in my career credit all the way through college. But one of the people that I really have to thank, unfortunately, is no longer with us. His name is Richard Cuso, and he was a and also a Valparaiso University grad, but a broadcaster, um, it's heartbreaking because he lost the battle with brain cancer, and that was in the beginning of my career. But through college and probably the first half of my career, he was that broadcaster I could always call for advice. He loved weather. He loved science. And he kept me motivated, even through some of the, the challenges and the hardest times that I was going through. And sometimes when I didn't feel like I could do it or I could forward he was always encouraging me and he was a phone caller and text away and I'll never forget the advice he gave me and how he just continued to believe in me and so I I owe a lot of where I am today because of him in addition to all those other countries that I was talking about. Sounds like a pretty amazing person. Do you have a particular time of year or season when it's especially challenging to do weather forecasts. Now, again, you're based out of Colorado, and Colorado, as I have experienced, is that if you don't like the weather in Colorado, wait a minute, it's going to change. Um, I've never seen quite a state like Colorado where you can have all four seasons in one day. Is there a particular time of year or season when it's really hard to do weather forecasts? I think what's the toughest for me, Rich, is since I forecast nationally and for the Caribbean as well, it's very tough when we have active weather here in Colorado because I want to be out in the field analyzing it, but I have to be in studio covering a hurricane, for example, or a tornado outbreak in Iowa, so my mind's going in two different directions. But if I had to say locally forecasting towards the Denver area, it's definitely tricky with a lot of the winter storms that come through here because you have the mountains, you have topography, which can enhance or completely disintegrate a storm depending on the direction it's coming in from. And so when you're doing forecasting alongside mountain ranges, it adds a whole different level of challenges because sometimes your forecast can be spot on, but other times one little shift in the weather 
and the whole forecast bust, and you could get two inches of snow versus 20 inches of snow. As a broadcast meteorologist, what is one of the most challenging circumstances that you've had to report and share with audiences? I mean, you mentioned about the hurricanes and the tornadoes and the fires. Those are all literally catastrophic events that are occurring in those communities. Is there a particular uh, experience that you have that was really challenging for you to forecast and report on? Absolutely, and I, I talk about this a lot because this is one of the times in my career I, I tell people we're, we're, we're human, we're real. You see us on a television and we're, we look like we have everything together and everything's going well, but during Hurricane Harvey, I was on the air forecasting one of the overnight um, events when people were trapped in their homes because of the flooding, and they couldn't get out, and so social media was filled with messages from people, help, I'm trapped in my home, or my grandmother's in her house, we can't get to her because of the flooding, and I actually had to take time off the air to cry, because as much as I could do to help warn people about what was happening and how they could get through it, I knew that there were people that weren't going to get through it at that moment, and it was very, very tough, and my coworkers were the same. We get emotional about those types of things, and it, sometimes you just you have to take a step back and just breathe or just cry and let it out because, you know, as much as we want to help save as many lives as possible, sometimes we can't. And definitely Hurricane Harvey was, was the toughest one that I had to cover. A lot of us have seen one of your uh, uh, colleagues, uh, I don't necessarily want to call it a competitor, but there's, you know, if you see Jim Cantori in your neighborhood, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's not a good day. <laughs> Weather-wise, it's going to happen. He and other meteorologists certainly put themselves at risk to go out and report that. What's the most dangerous weather situation that you found yourself encountering and, and having to report on? So you're, you're talking about being out in the field? Yes, that takes me back to when I was working in Sarasota, Florida, and I was covering Tropical Storm Debbie. And Debbie was one of the storms that was way out in the center of the Gulf of Mexico, but it was such a large storm that we were still getting rain and impacts and storms and storm surge coming into our coastline. And I was out there with just my photographer and myself, and there was a point that the tide was coming in, and we had storm surge coming in, and these huge boats were just literally being pushed out of the water and shoved up onto the shore. And here I am along the coast, and I can see behind me when I would turn to look at the water, these huge boats just getting tossed around like children's toys. And you get to a point where you have to make the call that it's not a safe situation and it's not worth, as they say, getting the shot or getting the video to get to a safe place. And so we definitely left a little bit earlier than we were hoping to, but it was very scary because, as we know, the power of the wind is not the wind itself that can hurt you, but it's what's in the wind. And so anytime you're in a situation like that, you have to be aware of your surroundings. You have to know what's coming in, if there's going to be a break. And, of course, all the hazards we warn people about, we have to take the warnings ourselves, lightning flooding and so that was definitely a scary situation thankfully we were okay we were able to get the news car but 
sometimes I do see other reports of people that I don't know if they weren't paying attention or if they were, they just couldn't get somewhere safe. But it's always a risk when we go out there. But we, for the most part, are trained to handle both situations. How do you prepare for something like that? And do you have a, a go bag of materials that you and a cameraman have with you? Uh, I'm thinking, obviously, of you know the, that scouting uh, axiom of be prepared. How do you and a camera a camera operator prepare for something like that? Do you have a go kit? We definitely have a go kit. We have a first aid kit in the live truck, but we also have conversations before we even go out plans. For example, I remember we had a news truck that had a really tall mast that we'd have to put up, and that's an obvious lightning rod. And so we would always have conversations before that if there was lightning within a certain radius of that, that had to come down immediately. And so it was more of mentally preparing ourselves for the worst, but hoping for the best every time we went out. With all the advanced technology that you and other meteorologists use, why is weather prediction still so hit or miss? Weather is so complex. There are so many different scales of different types of weather. You can have smaller scale systems, such as a tornado. You can have larger scale, huge systems in the jet stream, for example, or hurricanes that you could take one small thing and change it and your whole forecast is off. And I still feel like even people who have been in the business for 30, 40 years, you're still learning something new every day because no two storms are the same. And one of the examples I always like to use, especially when I'm talking to kids for an example of how quickly the weather could change, is if you have a hurricane. And if you think about a spinning top and you spin it on the counter and it stays there for a minute, but if you bump it just a little bit, it can go in a completely different direction or be pushed in a completely different direction. That's a little of a change where sometimes with certain weather, we could have that completely either what we call bust the forecast or it doesn't happen or completely takes that forecast and puts it in a completely different direction for us. What is the most misunderstood or underappreciated aspect of meteorology? That's a good question. I think being a broadcaster, I find challenges daily, and I'm sure a lot of other people in the weather community would agree that we are still learning. Going back to the question you just asked me, and I think I've heard the joke about, oh, you can be wrong 50% of the time and still get paid. And I don't think people realize how stressful our job can be on a daily basis. And when something doesn't happen exactly as we forecast, we feel bad about it. We want to give the best forecast. We go in there every single day trying to do our best. And when something doesn't happen according to plan or something changes, you know, there, there's still a lot of planning that goes into our forecast and analyzing it every single day. And so, yes, sometimes we're not going to be right. And a lot of times when we're not right, we'll be able to go back and look at what happened and be able to explain. And there are going to be those times where maybe we can't explain because it's an area that we're still learning stuff from daily. But I think people don't realize how tough a job it is to forecast. And there's a, there's a joke that always goes around. And it's like, if you think picking your Super Bowl picks is hard, you should, you know, something about meteorology. I can't remember it, but I'm sure you've seen it out there. It's like... It's tough for us. It's like picking the Super Bowl pick sometimes. 
I think that makes sense. Hopefully. Well, it, living in the D.C. area uh, where I am today, you know, with weather forecasts, again, they can be uh, they can predict three feet of snow and then nothing happens. And so the meteorologists, like any town, you know, certainly take their share of uh, public ribbing and joke about that. But uh, it is a, I'm sure it is a stressful and challenging experience to have to go through that. And I think your analogy you used about the top spinning on a table and then just a slight bump can send it in another direction, uh, I think was a really good analogy to use. I hadn't quite thought of it that way, but it makes sense. I think a lot of times when you take meteorology, yes, there's a lot of science behind it, and yes, it's very, very complicated, but there are ways to make it easier to understand, and that's why, especially with the way I do my forecast, I find it very important to take a small analogy like that, because when you put it into a perspective of every day, for example, another thing is with a severe weather event, it's like baking a cake. You need all the ingredients to have a very busy, severe weather day, but if you're missing some of those ingredients, it may not be as devastating or it may not be as busy as originally anticipated. But if you have all those ingredients come together, just like your cake is perfect and it comes out of the oven and it's moist and it's the best thing you ever made, it's like the same thing with severe weather. If all those ingredients come together perfectly and at the right amount, you're going to have a very busy and sometimes disaster-filled severe weather day. How does space weather impact our weather here on Earth? It's definitely something I would like to get more involved with, especially now that I've developed more of a passion for space through all the launches I've covered in the forecast. But we think of stuff every day. There's different types of space weather that affects our everyday technology. For example, you have solar flares that'll happen. And as we know, sometimes we can get blackouts. And I think their nickname for that is radio blackout storms where you, you'll have issues like that or maybe our different electronics don't work or fail because of those solar flares and so they go hand in hand with what we do but also sometimes you can have geomagnetic storms and that can affect power grids and so we may not think about it as much and sometimes it's not to the point of as we see in certain movies it being extreme but little things like that, or even the change in, in the, the sun can impact our climate. And so there's so many different things with Earth, weather, and space that when you put it together and look at it, it's quite interesting. What skill or experience have you acquired as a meteorologist that you are most proud of? That's such a good question. It's a hard question, too, because... I, just, I, I try to do my job the best I can every day, and I, I try to, to save lives. And I think over the last 10-plus years now being a forecaster, I've really been able to fine-tune my skills. And one of them is being on the radar when there's tornado warnings and being able to dissect it by looking at the velocity. Or one of the products that we have, one of the tools on our radar that can help pinpoint the location of a tornado. And being able to be on the air and tell people, this is where I would be. It's, it's nighttime, you can't see it, but I would tell you this is where I would say that tornado is and it's moving toward this town. And actually getting that information out there before the warning or giving people enough time to get to shelter. And I think I'm, I'm very proud that I've been able to develop that and I have to 
give credit to some of my coworkers here at Weather Nation that have worked with me and helped with me to develop that skill even more. But I'm very, very proud that I can help save lives. And I feel being a broadcast meteorologist is a privilege. We get to go in there every single day and be somebody for the community to look up to, whether it's giving weather information or even being a positive role model for young women and girls that are interested in science careers and that are trying to get into the science community. And I was giving a school talk one time back in the beginning of my career, and within the last, I believe, year, I heard from one of the girls in the class on social media, and she's now a scientist. And she said my story and the way I talked to them as students, which is something I'm very passionate about. And she said that she remembered me talking to her class and the things I said to her. And she kept them, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional, but when I read it, I was very touched that I was able to say something that helped inspire her to go into a science career. And so I think I'm also very happy that all the experience I've done doing classroom talks and career talks is, is paying it forward and keeping some of these kids in schools and helping some of them go for their, their dreams and goals. I want to pull that thread of mentorship that you do, and that, that's a great example and story of paying it forward with the young woman who reached back to you. I, I would like to ask, what piece of advice do you have for young people, and in particular young women, who want to consider a career in meteorology or science? Never give up. Three words that will resound with you the rest of your life. I have had a very challenging career, and as I mentioned, some of the stuff I went through in school, and there were a lot of times when I could have easily thrown in the towel and said, the math is too hard. I failed too many tests. I don't think I can do this. I don't believe enough in myself. And had I listened to that, that nagging voice, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be as happy as I am to call broadcast meteorology my lifelong dream and career. And reach out to those people that you look up to, those mentors. And anyone that's listening today, I'm saying something that's sparking your interest in weather, whether it's on air or behind the scenes. Reach out to me. I would love to talk to you about your career because the mentors that I had, helped get me to where I am today. And the more you fill your circle with positive people, whether it's mentors, teachers, friends, people that encourage you and believe in you, your family, you want to believe in yourself too. And that's the most important thing because it's so easy sometimes to, to give up or to go, as they call it, the, the quick path, the quick journey to where you're going to go in life. But the story is so much better when you have the failures, when you have the successes, when you don't get that job you thought you wanted because something more amazing was about to open up. But at the end of the day, just never give up because anything is possible. And I always think of that Walt Disney quote, if you dream it, you can do it. And I live my life by that model every single day, even even in the challenging times, because we know we all have those. Having a podcast interview with a meteorologist sort of tells me that I can get away with this, but I'd like to do a lightning round of quick questions with you to wrap this thing up. <laughs> you like how I got that in there, didn't you? Okay. I did. I like the weather pun. Yeah. You know, every now and then I, I, I pull it off. But let me ask this. Who has the best weather on Earth? Oh, wow. That's interesting because... Best weather could be a sunny day at the beach, 
or best weather could be rainy nights to fall asleep to. But I have to say, if we're going for comfort and living, when I lived in Santa Barbara, California, the weather was fantastic there. It was boring for me to forecast, but Santa Barbara, California had fantastic weather. And I haven't traveled around the world yet, and that is going to be a goal of mine. But I'd have to say, if I had to pick somewhere for forecasting, goodness, like all different seasons, that's, that's tough because it's so it's so fun to, to learn and, and to do different types of weather. But I would say, hmm. It's like you've dumped me. <laughs> okay, well, then I'll give you another question. Who is your weather hero? My weather hero? I still have to go back to my mentor, Rich. Like I said, I wouldn't be where I am without him today. And he had a very challenging career as well, but he came out and he did so many good things. So I'm going to stick with Rich Acuda. Okay. Favorite weather day? Saturday, because... <laughs> Did I just have a, uh, what is that movie moment? Miss Congeniality moment? <laughs> um, I got a movie question coming here next, so that was a good preamble, but uh, Saturday is your favorite weather day. Good for you. Okay. <laughs> Who's your favorite space hero? Neil Armstrong. What's your favorite weather movie or weather moment? I'm going to say Twister, and I'm sure my fellow meteorologists out there, some of them will be shaking their head, but I still love that movie. <laughs> well, mine's Groundhog Day, so I'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> favorite song to sing? Favorite song to sing? I've got sunshine. Oh, boy. I walked into that one. Okay. <laughs> Meredith, this has been fun. I want to thank you for your time and sharing uh, your experience as a meteorologist and, and what I would say is an ambassador for science careers for young people and in particular young women that want to pursue those dreams. And as you mentioned, the Walt Disney quote of if you can dream it, you can do it. What a great what a great motto to live a life to. Uh, thank you for joining us and uh, sharing your experience, your laughter, and even your song uh, with us today. <laughs> Very grateful uh, for your time with us. Well, thank you so much, Rich. And like I said, for any girl out there that has a dream in a science career, especially weather and meteorology, don't hesitate to reach out because if I can even give you one little piece of advice or something to help you along your career, I do want to pay it forward as so many people did for me. What a great way to end this. And again, paying it forward, you are doing. Meredith, you are a credit to your profession and the Weather Nation team and uh, your viewers, uh, are, as well as your colleagues, are certainly fortunate to have you in their orbit. Thank you for your time. And that concludes this episode of Space Foundation Space for You podcast. Keep your eyes and ears open for more episodes by checking out our social media outlets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And, of course, our website at spacefoundation.org. And don't forget, because of support like yours, it makes programs like Space for You and everything that the Space Foundation does possible. Please see our website at spacefoundation.org on ways to donate and support our mission. 
because at the Space Foundation, it's our goal to inspire, educate, connect, and advocate for the entire space community, because at the Space Foundation, we will always have space for you. Thank you for listening.